Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's an emotional morning, isn't it? I think um, just uh, change is always uh, costly but glorious. And so I just want us to just to reflect on that for a few moments this morning. There's a story in the Old Testament of uh, when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan. And as they went across, as God did a miracle, parted the waters. He's the, some people have a problem with that. I'm just like, if you believe in God, you shouldn't have a problem with that. <laughs> Parting a river is not a big deal um, to the God who spun the stars into space. But anyway, that's a whole other message. Uh, <laughs> as he did this miracle, he told them, as you go through the waters, collect some stones. Twelve stones actually represented the twelve tribes and pile them up and leave them as a memorial. And this is what uh, it says in Joshua 4. When your children ask in the time to come, what do those stones mean to you? You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan stop flowing before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. They collected these stones. I'm sure they were a little bit bigger than this. If I was going to get a stone, I'd get one slightly larger than this. But, um, I, you know, didn't want to do myself in while I was preaching. Um, this, this, these stones, God says, are going to be a memorial. They're going to lay them down so that when people see them in the future, they will remember what God did in the past. And, and it's critical not just for those who, are, who were there and witnessed the events, but for those who weren't there, actually, because your prophetic destiny is so often rooted in your prophetic history. So, so say that again, that was more profound in my head than it came out. Your prophetic destiny is so rooted, is so often rooted in your prophetic history, meaning what God does in the future is so often rooted in what he's done in the past. And he wants us to remember, because it says in Revelation, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we tell the stories of what Jesus has done in the past, we actually lay the foundation for him to do it again in the future. You know, it's not just kind of uh, some kind of looking back, uh, reminiscing kind of nostalgia to look back. What it does is it does something in us. It reminds us of how big God is and what his destiny is for each one of us. And so what I want to do today is, as it were, lay out before us some of the memorial stones, some of the things from the past that God has spoken into us. Because, you know, you can, you can outline your vision in lots of different ways. One of the ways of outlining where we're going to go is where have we come from. <laughs> So I want us to, together to remember where we have come from. And the, the church started in 1992, but we have to remember that actually before the church began in 1989, we had a homeless work, a work with the homeless and the poor. And I believe that's the first memorial stone for us as a community. God loves the poor. <laughs> God loves the poor. He loves the poor and he laid it right in our DNA. That's who we are. And wherever we go, however many locations we ultimately have, whether it's one or two or whatever, the reality is we are, we are called to be a people who love the poor because God loves the poor and, and he's done it and spoken to us again and again about it. Isaiah 58 will be a summary scripture. Is this not the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and then shall your healing spring up speedily, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Oh, I just love that scripture. And that's the reality is when we stoop down, as it were, to serve those, the poor, the disadvantaged around us, God himself says, then I will stoop down to serve you. 
And so many have seen that. You talk to Paul Johnson, you talk to Kirsty, you talk to, to Caroline, you talk to PK, you talk to anyone in our community who's been around and has served the poor. What they came, sometimes by accident, they didn't even know what they were doing. They, they perhaps didn't have anything better to do. They came and served the poor. And what happened? God broke into their lives. <laughs> If you sign up to work on the project today, if you either voluntarily or on staff, you're signing up to help 700 people a year. Okay, this side, I should maybe get more impressed by that. But you are signing up to help 700 people a year. Thank you. 700 people a year. Thank you. That's a phenomenal. But you're also signing up to get your own life changed. Because you cannot help but run into God when you run into the poor. Because that's where he is. That's where he loves to be. He loves the poor. And whatever we do as a community, we must never forget that. That's what we're called to be. And that's who we are. The second uh, point I would, uh, memorial stone I would lay down was, I've picked the date 1994, but you could pick probably any of the years in that time. And it's this reality that God's voice changes everything. God's voice changes everything. Because what we began to realize that God was the speaking God. <laughs> that his sheep hear his voice. Give me a meh. <laughs> if you are breathing and you are following Jesus, then you are a sheep of his. And the promise is this, you hear his voice. There's no, you, there's no exclusions to that. There's no one apart from, you know, John Smith who's going to live in... No, no, no. <laughs> that you hear his voice. He's the speaking God. He loves to speak. He can't help but speak. He loves it. And, and we began to realize that. And we began... And you talk to people across the history of the church. Their lives were transformed when they realized for the first time. I'm talking about, about Phil, who many of you will see prophesy regularly. He came to the church as a visitor. He wasn't even coming to this church. He got picked out. His life got transformed through a word. You talk to Wendy, how she was picked out as a student. You talk to anyone, as you hear their story, you'll hear a story where God broke in with his voice, where he changed somebody's life. I mean, Caroline, come just tell your story of how you ended up here. That's welcome, Caroline. <laughs> yeah, you can well, um, 25 years ago. No, no. Yes. When I was 10, when I was tw 20, mm -hmm. I went to a, um, a youth conference in Chicago. I was in university there, in the, in, uh, not in Chicago, but I was in the university in the States. And I went to this youth conference and David and Philippa Stroud, who started the King's Arms Church and the King's Arms Project, were there speaking. And um, them and their team, there was about 2,000 students, um, they, they stood me up out of the crowd and gave me the first prophetic word I'd ever received, which was um, basically you're called to dark and dirty places. And <laughs> I was like from affluent suburban America and I thought, oh, maybe that's Bedford. <laughs> so I we, came... We're still trying not to be offended by that. <laughs> But anyway, move on. It's a dark and dirty, but anyway, I didn't know any better then. I'd never been here before. Um, but then I, I, um, I came over a couple of years later. I came over for a year out. And um, after the first week, I walked into the King's Arms Church and I was like, oh my gosh, I've come home. Like, I just had this feeling of, man, I'm home. And I called my parents and said, guys, there's no way a year's going to be enough. I absolutely love it here. I feel like I'm home. That was like such a major understatement, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was just brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. 
God's voice changes everything. 1 Corinthians 14 says, if you're prophesying and gathered together and those who don't follow Jesus or people who don't understand these things, come to your meeting. As they listen, the secret thoughts will be exposed. They will fall on their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. That's why we gather. We gather for moments like that. We should expect moments like that in every small group that gathers, in every group that goes out, and every Sunday. We are a people who expects the voice of God. We expect God's voice to break in, not just from the platform going out, but one anothering, praying, seeking God, saying, have you got a word for someone today? Those are the moments that change people's lives. God's voice changes everything. I, I still remember the moment when uh, Phil Cox prophesied over a young lady, first time she'd ever uh, had come to the church. She was sitting roughly around here, and, and he, he, he called her out, and he said, I see the story of Narnia. I'm drawn to the character of Lucy. And she said, that's my name. <laughs> And she did not sit down at the end of his prophecy. She fell into her mother's arms as she knew, surely God is among you. <laughs> surely God is among you. And every Alpha course, and then we could tell hundreds of stories across our history. As we move on to a new location, as we relaunch, as it were, this location, let us not forget God's voice changes everything. We love the scriptures. We love God's word. That his word is alive. It's a blueprint for our life. But we also love the spoken now word of God that comes through prophecy. God's voice changes everything. Uh, and the, the next kind of moment that I can pick would be from 2003. And there's lots I've been missing out. And forgive me if I miss your favorite moment. Uh, PG and I had just begun to lead the church together. And um, who knew? We didn't know what we were doing. I think the Lord actually knew, but he, he forgot to tell us. We missed that memo. <laughs> we did not know what we were doing. The church hadn't grown for numbers of years, five or six years. And there was one uh, uh, Christmas, we sat in a coffee shop at, reflecting on the end of the year and asked ourselves this question, if you weren't paid, would you come to this church? And when we both answered no, <laughs> we realized it was a low point. <laughs> it was a low point in our journey. And then we decided, well, why don't we just build the type of church that we would like to go to? And if anyone wants to come, then they can come. And if they don't, we'll just go and do something else. <laughs> so that was our divine strategy. And then the Lord spoke to us and he said this, the kingdom is like a seed. It has life within itself. Get everything out of the way that stops it growing and it will grow. And it was just one of those moments. It was way too smart for either of us, no offense, Paul, for either of us to have made it up. We realized God was speaking to us and that in this moment, he'd given us the blueprint for kingdom growth. We were spending all our time trying to work hard, pedaling this bike very hard. And we realized, no, 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 no. The life, the energy comes from God himself. Our job is just to get the stuff out of the way. Get the stuff out of the way. So the same, that's the same message of the rocks of the heart, isn't it? Get the rocks out of our own hearts and his water will flow. Get the stuff out of the, that's stopping our groups growing, our lives changing. Get the stuff out of the way and it will grow. Because as Paul writes, when he writes to the church in Corinth, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who brings the growth. So much of our Christian lives up to that point have been hard working. And there is about hard work, but it's not the same kind of hard work when you're just moving rocks out of the way, when you're just getting stuff out of the way and saying, oh God, look what we've cleared. Pff, grow. <laughs> That's what we're called to do. God himself brings the growth. And we have to remember that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. <laughs> 
And it's such a fine line, isn't it, for working on the stuff of God and yet remembering that it's God who really does the work. It's such a fine line, such a balance that we have to remember in this season as we go forward. The next one I would say is, is this, God pays for what he orders. The next memorial stone is that God pays for what he orders. We uh, had a word for us as a church. We were, we were happy in Dame Alice. We liked Dame Alice. It was, it was, well, actually, no, we didn't like it that much. But anyway, we didn't know any better. And God spoke to us and he said, as you have housed the poor, I will house you. And so then became the, the moment where we realized, well, if we're gonna, he's going to house us, we need to raise some money for it. And I had the faith-filled goal of £20,000 for our first offering. Royden said, Simon, that's not going to buy us a few chairs. Why don't we go for £200,000? I think I'd throw up a little bit at that point. <laughs> so we had our first gift day. And two weeks before, John Strange emailed me and he sent me a, an email that said, I had a dream and I saw a check that you were holding for 146,343, no, £146,000 is what he said in his, in his email, which I've still got. And so we, we were so encouraged. And on the day, in, in cash and, and checks, ca not pledges, the cash that was given on the day, we had 146,343 pounds. I mean, who, who but God alone could predict the amounts that a, 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 a few, uh, you know, 100 or so people would give to that degree, to 0.2%. I mean, it's just incredible. Obviously, we rebuked John for being a false prophet because he didn't get it exactly right. No. <laughs> he actually, in his defense, he said, the last three digits were blurry. I couldn't see them very well. Like, All right, John, we'll let you off. But <laughs> it was just a moment where we realized the stone that God was laying in our hearts was God pays for what he orders. Actually, we didn't know how much we were going to need. Had we realized how much we, would have gone, we needed, something, we might, we might have died. <laughs> we had no idea. But what it laid in our spirits at that point is if God orders it, he's going to pay for it. He's going to pay for it. And that you can take that lesson for your family. You can take that lesson for your business, your charity, whatever you're doing. If, God, if you are sure that you are doing what God has told you to do, and you can check that out, you can ask people to pray about it. But if you're sure, then God's going to pay for it. So why are you worrying about money? I mean, if he's told you to do it, then he's going to provide. God pays for what he orders. That stone has got to be deep in our spirits because we will face financial challenges again as we have even through this project. But we've got to remember God pays for what he orders. He is the one who has started this and initiated this. And then 2006 was another moment, another moment in the Lord where we, uh, as a community, were praying. We were saying, God, will you get us out of our four walls? You know, we, were, we had a, a strategy to reach people who didn't know Jesus, and it was this. We'll just get them over for barbecues. We'll just get them over for, you know, for, for, for meals. And we suddenly realized if we're to reach our town and our region, we are going to have heart attacks through overeating barbecues by the time we reach them. We're just never going to reach some of these people. We'll be dead in a, in a box by the time we get there. Our cholesterol will be through the roof. This is never going to work. God, you've got to help get us out onto the streets. You've got to help break us out of these four walls. We're not going to do it through friendship, evangelism alone. And we, we believe in that. And that's huge. But we're not going to do it through that alone. You've got to get us out. And then I had a call from a guy and he said, I could come and do a, a conference on the love of God, on the Father heart of God. And I put the phone down. I was like, Lord, that's not what we need. We said, come and help us get someone you know, out on the streets. We need an evangelist or someone. You know, help us, Lord. And uh, We don't need to know about your love. You know, we know that you love us. You know, come on, we've been hearing that for years. 
He said, you said, send anyone who could help you. I was like, all right, I'll have him. <laughs> so he came and that weekend turned our church upside down because we did not realize how orphan-hearted we were, how we knew in our heads that God loved us, but the journey from the head to the heart is a long journey. In fact, it, it writes about, Paul writes about it, doesn't it, in Galatians 4, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And this message will never get old to me because I've realized this is not something you can even tell. So you can tell someone, but that doesn't make it go into their hearts. It's a revelation. It's, a spirit, it's the spirit of God who falls on us, who gives us a revelation of Abba, Father, he's my daddy. And when you get that into people's hearts, you don't have to persuade them to go and tell other people. They can't help but tell other people because they know he loves me and he didn't have to love me. It's by grace that I've been saved. Suddenly the whole world becomes technicolor. The security of their identity Identity gets transformed. They are changed. And it's a revelation. And we can create environments and, and we can create groups and we can open new locations. And the critical thing is we are just making space for God to bring that revelation because only he can do it. Only he can do it. And, and I remember so many stories, but one that I always enjoy is a, a lady who was, came from, on the ministry team to pray for someone else. She came forward, she's praying for another lady, and she's praying, and the band are playing. He, I remember the song we used to play, He Loves Us, Oh, How He Loves Us. Love that song. Anyway, oh, we should sing that again. He, anyway, <laughs> he was playing that song, and she was saying, He loves you, Oh, How He Loves You. And then suddenly she stopped. She's like, Hang on a minute, He loves me. She's like, Forget about you, He loves me. <laughs> And suddenly, the information went from her head into her heart. And you can't, you can't fix the timing of that. It's a God thing. All you can do is create the environments, the space where it can happen. It's all you can do, but it's a God moment. And it went into her heart, and she began weeping and howling. He loves me. Suddenly, the grace of God, just, just like that scripture says. And, and that is the destiny of every child of God. And we realize, had we gone out onto the streets with what we were like before, we would have just made more orphans than we were had already. You know, when orphans gather together, they just build an orphanage. When sons and daughters gather together, they make a family. And we were about making family, but we needed God to transform our hearts, to bring us the revelation. That's why we still run the Father Heart Conference every year. We still have moments on Sunday every, every, every so often we'll we pray for this revelation to go deep because it, it's not just something you get once. You have to keep on getting it. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. The, the other rock that came in that moment was this, that 2007 was a year when we realized that God was not just a God who wanted us to speak his message with words, but he wanted us to speak it with power. He'd begun speaking to us about this some years before, but 2007 was really the, the year where we uh, set out a goal that we would see 30 miracles on the streets in the next five years. And I remember when we were back in Daymalas announcing that goal, and there was a sharp intake of unbelief. As people thought, how are we even going to... We haven't even seen anyone healed on a Sunday, I don't think, let alone out on the streets. You know, when there's no kind of band playing in the background, making the nice kind of moment. How are we going to do this? Well, January came and went, and February came and went, and the mathematicians amongst us realized, we're behind already, and we began to panic. And then in March, we got one, a guy called Tabo, 
sweating, he told me afterwards. I was sweating, almost sweat through my shirt. I was so nervous. There was a lady on a train with a neck injury, clearly in pain, popping pills the whole journey home. He offered, could I pray for you through stumbling lips? She said, well, nothing else works. Why not? Prayed for her. She was instantly and totally healed. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> He gets off the train at the same stop as her. She tells her husband, this guy has just healed me. He says, no, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. It was all a bit clumsy. <laughs> but the reality was, we got one. We got our first one. And we'd counted up at the end of the year. And instead of 30 in five years, we'd had 69 in one year. And we realized God was laying a rock in our community. And since then, we have seen hundreds, probably thousands healed out on the streets, encountering the love of God. Yes, we have a gospel of words. We've got to speak with words, but it's got to be a gospel that comes with power. We owe it to the world. There is a world that is dying and desperate. And it never gets old to me, seeing God break in in healing power, both in in the church, you know, just, you know, praying for a lady uh, and her uh, shoulder injury, just praying for her. She's totally healed, instantly healed, waving around. She's like, will you? I mean, I just can still remember and still love the look on people's faces. They're so joyfully surprised. I love that. It's like Christmas come early. You know, (laughs) joyfully surprised as God touches them. And then she said, can you pray for my mum? So we pray for her together. Her mum gets healed. It's just these moments. I just love those moments. Beautiful in the church, but oh my gosh, so beautiful out on the streets. So beautiful out in the coffee shops and out in the, in the workplaces. It's what we are called to. And let's not us forget, as we launch a new location, as we relaunch this location, this is a rock for us. This is something that God has done in our hearts. This is not just for a few from the platform. This is for every one of us to look at our own hands and to realize Jesus said, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That wasn't, a, that wasn't a word for, the, for kind of like the super apostles of the day. No, no, Jesus was, was commissioning his people. This is the type of people you will be. You'll expect the power of God. I mean, just look at your hands for a moment. Don't they look kind of ordinary? Uh, I mean, obviously, maybe yours don't, but mine kind of look ordinary. You will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's what he says, not just to, to a few people 2,000 years ago, but to every one of his people to have and live with that expectation. This is a rock for us. And in the midst of it, 2009 comes. And uh, I'm not going to do every year by year by year, don't worry. 2009 comes. And I think the rock in that year that God laid in our hearts was that he wins. Angie Simcoe, who'd been a long-term founding member of the church, got breast cancer for the second time. And it wasn't long this time before she was right at the end of life. And she wanted us to pray for her right the way through. And we did faithfully. Tens of people prayed for her, but she wasn't healed. And in the end, she died. But the moment was, two days before she died, she called me to come and meet with her. And I came and she could hardly speak. Her uh, voice was so soft. She, I had to get real close to hear her. And I said, Angie, is there anything you want to say to the King's Arms? And she said, and she was quite a fierce lady in a moment. <laughs> She said, you tell the king's arms, don't ever stop praying for cancer. I had to come back to the church that Sunday through tears and tell them that Angie had gone to be with the Lord. But her last words were, don't ever stop praying for cancer. (laughs) That we are not to stop until this planet is rid of that horrible disease. And one day we will see it. We will see it. And there, there was this moment... 
there was this moment where I said to the church, look, there's, there's, there's a few points, you know, there's this point here in eternity when there's no more cancer, there's no more disease, there's no more sickness. I'm man alive, I'm looking forward to that moment. <laughs> there's a moment here where we are right now where we don't see anyone healed because we don't pray for anybody. We don't try. So because we're so afraid of failing, of messing it up, of not getting the answer that we want, we just don't try. I said, but there's this middle ground where we do what Jesus told us to do. And there will be times when there is mystery and there's failure, but there are also going to be times where there is great breakthrough. <laughs> and I said to the church, I've lived here all my life. I've moved. <laughs> I can't ever go back. I can't ever go back there. I'm, I'm willing to, to deal with the mystery. I'm willing to deal with the confusion because I know the more we pray for, the more we'll get healed. And the more we learn about these things, the more we will see the breakthrough and the more lives that we will see impacted. And what I've seen on the journey is that if you do it in love, if you're not just trying to get a healing scalp, but you do it in love, people go away. Even if they're not healed, they encounter the love of God. If, you, if they know that you're doing it, if you've stopped, and I've had unbelievers who have not been healed as I've prayed for them, but as, I've, as, I've, as we've had time, they, they go away. And I can say, because they say it, I felt so loved that you even bothered to stop and, 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 and pray for me. That meant so much to me. We, we model it and do it in the right way. This is the rock that we carry as we go forward. And there will be losses. There will be mystery. There will be things that we thought God was going to do it. And then it doesn't work out as we thought. There's going to be great breakthrough. The rock is this. God wins. <laughs> Either way, he wins. He wins. Angie Simcoe beat cancer. She beat cancer. She defeated cancer because it never got her spirits. It never got her fights. She was fighting to the end. And we've seen story after story like that. God wins. That's the rock he laid in our hearts. And 2009 was another moment in us, actually, as we uh, were thinking about who we're going to be as a people. And uh, Caroline and I went home for Christmas. We used to go to my, where my mum and my brother live in the same town. Where I think we were all in my mum's house, which is quite a small house. The kids were kind of small, and it was all kind of fairly crazy. And Caroline looked at me in the afternoon, and she said, you need a break. We need you to have a break, which I don't to this day know what that meant. <laughs> so I went over to my brother's house and uh, took a stack of books with me, didn't read any of them because I saw on his shelf a book called The Starbucks Experience, which was a book about a coffee shop. I thought, I like coffee, fancy a light read. Everyone, other people's books always look more interesting than your own. Anyone else have that? Uh, why is that? I don't know. But anyway, I thought, I'll read this. So I started reading this book. Within a few moments, within a few pages, the Spirit of God had fallen on me and I was weeping my heart out as I read story after story of a coffee shop that instead of spending their money on marketing, had spent their money on training their staff to love people. I mean, they didn't use those words, but that is what they'd done. They spent their money on training their staff to love people. And they taught me in that book that every organization, every group, every church has a culture. You either define it or it defines you. <laughs> you either define it or it gets defined for you, one way or other. And, we began to, and I began to realize we've been spending all our time looking at where we're going and not enough time looking at who we're going to be. <laughs> And since that day, we've seen churches' whole movements shattered. They achieved great things, but what happened? They achieved a lot. They went to the right place, but on the journey, they didn't become the right kind of people. Tragic to say, God spare us from that. 
And we began to look at culture. What does it mean to live out of a new culture? And as I read these stories, and the one I've always told since that day, uh, as the, the lady who was a, a coffee shop supervisor, and she, um, she the National Lottery in, in uh, California rolled over to $80 million. And it rolled over, and she said to her team, oh, let's have fun, let's just do a little syndicate. We'll, all buy, we'll buy some tickets together. Here, give me your money. And I'll... Half the team didn't have any money, so she paid for the tickets for them. They won $80 million. They won as a group. And then she split the money equally between the entire team. I mean, California law had been well tested on this. If you buy the ticket, even if you gave it to someone else, it belongs to you. People had sued each other for years over this very issue. She owned over half the money, and yet she split it equally between the team. When the news heard about this, they couldn't believe it. They came to interview her. They said, why did you do this? She said, if I had kept the money what we've been building as a team here would have accounted for nothing. I was reading this. I was, <laughs> so we, can't, we can't live like this for eternal life and they're doing it for $10 an hour. <laughs> what's going, what's wrong with us? And I realized we'd spent so long on looking at where we were going, but not enough time on looking at who are we going to be? How are we going to treat one another? You know, if you spend time looking at who you're going to be, you get less done because it takes time to deal with a conflict, to work it through. It takes time. You can get less tasks done, but man alive, at least at the end of the journey, you might have got less done, but you still love each other. You still like the person that you see in the mirror. You realize that God is not just interested about getting stuff done. He's not just interested in another location. For him, that's, that's a secondary to who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be a people who honor one another, who live with authenticity, who live with acceptance, who live with generosity, who live with courage? Is that who you're going to be? That's what's going to last forever. Locations and sites will come and will go. One day this building will just be ashes, I'm sure. It will come and go, but the people we become will last forever. <laughs> the people we become will last forever. And that's what God is really, really interested in. He wants us to shape our culture, and it takes all of us. It takes every single one of us. There's no point joining a community and saying, yeah, I love this culture of honor thing. I just hope they honor me. No, no, no. A culture of honor is birthed when we all learn to honor the other person. I love this culture of authenticity. It's so great they're so honest from the platform. And yet week in, week out, we're living with these secrets that we tell not a soul. I am so painfully honest from the platform for a reason. So that you can come up here and be honest? No, no, no. So that you can find two or three people to be honest with your stuff. Because I've realized as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have genuine fellowship with one another and with him. And the blood of Jesus washes us from sin. There's no point going home thinking, oh, that was a lovely moment of authenticity on Sunday and locking your own heart down on Monday. No, no, that's the provocation to open your life up to someone else and say, look, this is who I am. Masks are off. This is not my Sunday face. Can you pray for me? <laughs> that's, that's why we do this stuff. Who are we going to be? That's the rock that God laid us. He wants us all to shape culture, not just. And the beautiful thing, the fantastic thing, which I did not expect, was that as we began to shape culture here, we enable us to shape culture in our workplaces, in our schools. There are businesses and schools around this area that you won't know. That If you look at their website and look at their culture, it will look remarkably similar to the culture that you see here. Why? Because there are believers from here whose lives have been transformed, who've then been asked questions. 
Why are you the way this is? This is one of the greatest evangelistic schools tools that we stumbled on by mistake. By just being a different kind of people, people start to ask us, why are you so different? And then it gives us an influence to change in a way that we wouldn't otherwise have had. And then fast forwarding, and I'm missing a whole load, 2014 was around the whole theme of discipleship. And we read this quote from a guy called uh, Neil Cole who wrote this, ultimately each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It doesn't matter how good your praise, your preaching, your programs, or your property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not radically obedient, your church is not good. Oh, I hate Neil Cole. I mean, why do you have to go and say stuff like that? just ruins my year. <laughs> it's just a shame he's right that Jesus said you've got to make disciples and all the other stuff is all great as long as it's helping you to do that because that's our call is that we become the type of people who naturally disciple others and we make the kind of people who naturally disciple other people that we are all growing in our knowledge and revelation of Christ. We're becoming more like him in our up, in our in, in our out. We are transformed and we transform others. And that's what makes it. That's what God has called us to do. And we, we re-evaluated everything in that season, looking at everything. Is, is this helping us to become a more disciple-making people? And, and, and so many people helped us on the journey. I love uh, the reality that sometimes you, the people that God's calling you to input don't look like the people that you want to input. And Paul McConaughey, our good friend, he shared a story with us, some of those you remember, where he was praying, God, give me some people of peace. Give me some people that I can impact. And he immediately had a, a picture in his mind of one of his neighbors. And he said, Lord, not him. Because <laughs> this guy was a nightmare. He, he didn't stop talking. He had a drink problem. He was a crazy lifestyle. He, he just like, he's like, no, Lord, just give me someone, not him, not him. And the Lord, again, the Lord spoke to me and said, who welcomed you when you came into the neighborhood? Who was the person who helped you when you were doing like a, 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 a kind of barbecue for the neighbors? Who is the person who's always asking you questions about your faith? Who is that person? He's like, I know that's him, but just not him. And then as he's praying, in the middle of the prayer, there's a knock at the door. He answers the door, opens the door, and guess who's standing there? This guy. Not only that, he's wearing a T-shirt by the brand Disciple. And Paul's like, Lord, I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. All right. He says five years later when they left that church, not only had that guy given his life to Christ, his wife had given his, her life to Christ. They were both alcoholics. They were both free from alcohol. And they were the pillars of that church. You see, we all have this picture of, of, of who we feel like we want to input. But what does the Lord say in the scriptures? You look at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the heart. We've got to be a people who realize that we're called to make disciples. And those disciples might not look like the people that you think they look like. <laughs> God's called each one of us to this. What's God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? And then fast forwarding, 2015, he taught us so much about rest. And then 16 was about his heart for the nations. 2017, he spoke to us so powerfully about prayer, that we are to be a joy-filled house of prayer. And he reminded us that his presence is central to everything we do. 
that when we connect with his presence, we get more done by accident than we ever did on purpose. He reminded us because I feel like we had, he felt like we had drifted, forgotten that message. And it's so key that we stay in that place as we launch a new location, as we relaunch this location, that we remember it's all about gathering around his presence. His presence and our understanding and connection with it, our recognition that his presence is all that we need is absolutely critical. We're still learning that in 2019, he commissioned us to multiply. And in the, the pain of that, there's also great joy that we are obeying what he's told us to do. God is multiplying his people. And, you know, uh, Phil reminded us in the prayer meetings we were praying earlier this morning that Paul, when he was on the beach with the Ephesian elders, he, he was speaking to them and they wept together as they realized that they would never see him again. Now, it's not that for us. We've got lots of opportunities to see one another in our groups, in uh, prayer times, in leaders' gatherings, lots of opportunities. But Paul was never going to see them again. But in that moment, neither of them knew that ultimately his writings to them were going to shape church history. And also, his, uh, the church that he left there was going to become one of the most influential churches in the ancient world. God had great plans for their multiplication. They just didn't realize it at the time. I think it will be the same with us. <laughs> we just don't realize all that God's going to do in this season of multiplication. And so as we do, as we go, let's remember the memorial stones. Let's remember what God has laid in our hearts. You might want to listen to this message again and just make sure that they're rock solid in your heart. Yes, that's who we are. God has laid these things. They are, they are his gift to us, not just to look back with nostalgia at the stories of old, but to look forward with excitement at the stories of the future. There are many who've gone before, some who are not even part of us, who we've sent to other parts of the world, who helped to write those stories. The question for you, are, you and I is, who's going to write the stories of tomorrow? The stories of yesterday have been written. They can't be changed. Who is going to write the stories of tomorrow? If you're part of King's House here, I commission you afresh to write the stories of tomorrow, to come next week with a fresh expectation of what God's going to do here, the breakthroughs he's going to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's to even to think I'm going to go with a prophetic word so I'm going to ask God to speak to me about someone. I'm going to pray for someone. I'm going to serve in some new way. If you're at the university, go with these memorial stones in your heart. Build something that looks like the, the things that the Lord has done in us already. Let's take a moment to pray together as we land. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we stand together?